Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters, No Tunnels to be Found. I'm joined by Harry and Dan. And Hello. I'm glad to be joining you on this uh, 9th of January, uh, Callum. All right. And today we'll be talking about Boeing DEI convertibles, which... What, what day is it, Callum, on the 9th of January? What day of the week is it? I'll tell you a story. Go on, <laughs> okay, go on. So there's, um, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson is? Sadly, yes. And you know how he's utterly insufferable and is like, oh, well, this is the real problem with 50 pence pieces on bollocks. And he's just like, bro, shut up. Like, I know that he's a Santa denier and that's enough. Stuff like that. Um, he tells this story about how he met the guy who made Titanic and um, a party. With James Cameron. Yeah, and he was telling him, do you know that in that scene where Jack and Rose are freezing to death, uh, the, the, you look up at the sky, the stars are actually backwards. They're not in the right position. And James Cameron's like, ha-ha, yeah, huh, oh well. Oh, wow. But then they go to another party like a year later, and he tells them the same bloody thing, and he just goes, yeah, if I got the stars right, that movie would have made a billion dollars more, I bet. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just like, yeah. I, I saw the worst tweet ever not so long ago. It was somebody wrote a tweet saying that um, Isaac Newton was the Neil deGrasse Tyson of his time. Why? That's what? a bit of an insult to Newton, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Like, also, a genius. So just to get the association correct, your story about Neil deGrasse Tyson being an insufferable twat is to justify you not knowing what day of the week it is. No, yeah, actually, how it's, did that connect? It's a story about not sweating the small shit. If it doesn't matter, don't worry about it. I think knowing uh, what day it is... It doesn't. For, for, this this for daily, podcast isn't going to double its views. <laughs> I never said it was going to double its <laughs> views. It's more for your benefit than anything. Okay. Anyway, after the convertibles, we're going to be talking about how Europe could do this to us and uh, the Civil War-defining moment, which um, I'm a little bit worried about, I'll be honest, but uh, I'll keep my worries to myself. Anyway, let's begin, I suppose. I have no announcements. Yes, so I want to start this segment with a, with a clear statement, okay? And the statement is, and I hope this is uncontroversial, but um, look, if you hire on any criteria other than competency, you will get less competency. Right. As a statement, it yep. follows logically. Yep. It makes perfect sense. Per perfectly logical statement. Now park that for a minute, and we're, we're just going to watch a, a quick video. John, can we play the first video, uh, first minute of this video, please? Dozens of Boeing 737 MAX 9s are grounded this morning because of a terrifying mid-air incident. An entire section of the fuselage came off an Alaska Airlines jet as it left Portland, Oregon on Friday. Amazingly, no one was seriously hurt. Hundreds of flights, though, have been canceled. And it's raising obvious concerns about how could something like this happen. So Chris Van Cleve is at the Portland Airport. This Chris, good morning. And Marie, good morning. The plane is actually back behind us here. We understand from the NTSB when this piece blew out, it did so with so much force that it ripped open the locked, fortified cockpit door that was 26 rows away. It sucked off the headset of the first officer. It literally ripped the clothing off a passenger's back, ripped the shirt right off. That's how intense this, this uh, you know, depressurization was. Uh, we can also tell you the NTSB has learned that Thank, thanks, on John. three that, separate that, that, I think incidents... that sort of makes a point. So um, fl flight in the air, Boeing, Boeing plane up there, um, whole panel bloody comes off, um, clothes are ripped from passengers, the, the fortified door is ripped off its hinges. Um, one wow. woman was apparently desperately trying to hold on to her baby. This always happens. Yes, well, I mean, I'm, I'm totally normal. I've never experienced an explosive decompression on an airplane, but I'd imagine it's, it's not um, too much fun. But anyway, let's park that as well, because now we're going to have a talk about you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion hiring. 
and just see if we think we think it matters in, in any way. So um, I, I think probably one of the first times that we really noticed this coming up in a big way was was because Joe Biden, who decided a few years back that uh, he was gonna he was gonna hire a new Supreme Court justice, but he was only going to consider black women. Mm. Okay, so put that into context. Black women in the U.S. make up about seven percent of the population, and yet. <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> but 7% of the population, that's basically about the same as the population of Florida. Right. So it's, it's, it's basically... So, I don't, An I, entire state. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but nobody can sit through a single theatre screen. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you're uh, taking... I, I'm trying to do this one desperately straight, okay? But the, how funny would that be? <laughs> that would be just a, like if you were to go for a for a, a proper good tourist adventure, the the state of only Blackwood would be a hell of a tale. Dear God, this is not where I wanted this. This is not where I wanted to. This I, I should have done this as a monologue rather than with two other people in the room. But look, but my point is right. If you're trying to hire the best of somebody and you limit yourself to just seven percent of the population. Is it more or less likely that you're going to get the best candidate for the job by excluding 93% of the population? You know, if, if you're looking for the best Supreme Court right. justice and you looked only in Florida. Have you excluded that 7% of the population? Are they of the most competent, highest achievers, top scorers in their schools and their fields of work? Is that where... Okay, you're, what you're, we're excluding? You're, 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 you're jumping ahead we here, are excluding Harry. The Chinese, because, yes. because if we were excluding purely on the basis of competence then perhaps so i i think is i don't think i even need to to bring that argument into it as to whether certain demographics have their strengths more in i don't know performing arts um culture and sports as opposed to law enforcement and constitutional analysis i'm not i'm not even making that argument i'm simply saying that if you limit the population that you are going to draw from you get less competency right that's all i'm saying um in the end, Biden ended up hiring somebody, I think it was Shaniqua Brown-Jackson, um, who I'm sure is a very competent lawyer, although we did find out from her, her confirmation hearings, when she was asked to define a woman, um, you know, uh, apparently Senator Blackburn said, okay, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Uh, Shaniqua said, um, can I provide a definition? No, I can't. The senator replied, you can't. And Shaniqua said, mm, not in this context, I'm not a biologist. So it, it gives you some clues to the level of competency of this woman. You know, and it's very possible that, you know, she is a great Supreme Court justice, unless, of course, the case involves knowing what a woman is. Mm. And at that point, it sort of falls down. Um, and actually, on, on this one, I, I, I don't mind it, really, because it's quite funny watching her write her opinions so that Clarence Thomas can then rip them apart in his dissent. I don't even need to read any of those. I just need to mm. see the graphics that people do of words per justice in giving their opinions. And she writes yeah. thousands and thousands of words. She's writing an entire essay on it. Clarence Thomas writes about 200 words. And even in that, just dismantles the whole thing. Yes. Now, Clarence Thomas, I, I, it's worth mentioning him because he is somebody who, who, who does have melanin, but is also competent, mm. who, who was hired on the basis of competency. Um, and you can really tell the difference between those who are hired on uh, competency and those who are not. Let's have a look at uh, you know this post. So diversity, equity, inclusion has sort of been trending lately. I mean, I think you did a you did a segment on it in football yesterday, um, but it's it, it's it's currently a live topic. I I find this one interesting. So so Mark Cuban decided to take it upon himself to to basically do this little essay thread 
on why he thinks that diversity, equity, and inclusion is, um, you know, you know, essential for a business. Um, go on, let's have a look at the next. Yeah. So when pressed on it, he he's basically saying that he thinks that the way diversity, equity, inclusion is that you've got your existing workforce, right? And then you've got this entire mass of talent that nobody is looking at. And diversity, equity, inclusion is basically just adding that extra vast resource of talent onto your existing body of, of resource. Empirically, this is as wrong as you could get when discussing this. The whole yes. point of diversity, equity, and inclusion is to throw aside qualifications and necessity for competency. Well, it's actually like he's oftentimes, they, oftentimes universities and other places will lower standardized score uh, test requirements um, for particular ethnicities purely so they can get more of these through the door. This was one of the big problems with Harvard was the fact that if you were black, you had to have to get in much, much lower scores than if you were white or you were Asian. So that's a fact. That's a fabrication. Well, complete fiction. Mark is putting forward an argument that is so stupid that I don't think he's even capable of making that argument intellectually. Well, let's take the the steel man approach to the diversity crowd here, because as you can see, Elon Musk there and then Mark's response, arguing, well, what if we have a hypothetical situation in which we have two candidates who are completely equal in terms of competence, uh, but one's diverse, which means I don't know, black woman, and one's not white man. And Elon says here, well, then the tiebreaker should be diversity of all kinds. And then Mark agrees with him. The thing is, firstly, that never actually happens, obviously. No one is the same. So there's competency difference in all human beings, pretty much. And even if you were in that hypothetical scenario, this still doesn't make any sense. Because if you say you want diversity of all kinds to be the tiebreaker, well, where do you limit that? I mean, well, I think, I think Elon is smuggling in ideological diversity on that one. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, why not just not not race and sex, but then as Peterson points out, why not hair color? Why not eye color? Why not height? Yes. Like, you will just endlessly waste your time if you even give a step to this. Well, eventually you just get down to an individual, which is what we should have been hiring on in the first place. Yeah. And you've now wasted, what, about 10 years of America's time? Yes. And a lot of money. Yeah, my my reason for money. mentioning Mark in this context is because his argument is, like I say, it's so stupid, I don't believe that he is intellect... Because he, he's a smart guy. He's a billionaire. Uh, I don't believe that he's actually this stupid. I think that he is potentially being put on the reserve list to replace Biden. Well, as we see from the report from Bloomberg near the end of last year as well, when DEI is implemented most of the time, it's not going to be affecting the sorts of people in Mark Cuban's position. If you say yes. that he is a billionaire, it's not going to be affecting most people within um, management positions mm. or anything above worker drones. It's going to be affecting those on the lowest rungs who are going to be the worker drones who are being priced out of any sort of jobs. If you're just working well, factory or manual labor, a lot of the time that is going to be they'll bring in black uh, applicants yes. and Hispanic applicants over white applicants. So that's who it's affecting. It's funny you say how should it affect Mark because um, he's, of course, um, very much associated with the Dallas Mavericks. Now, let's have a quick look at their team, shall we? Um, uh. Yeah, so that that these Dan was are also a diversity hire. Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm coming to that. So, so, so these are the the Dallas Mavericks. I'm I'm not seeing vast amounts of diversity. I mean, I'm, I don't, for a start, I don't see any Asian guys, let alone you know women mm. or Asian women. You know, this is this, this because it's all a lie. Yes. So it. So I'm I'm just going to ask the question: Is it possible 
that when Mark selected his um, uh, Dallas Mavericks team, that they were hired on no other criteria than competency at basketball. I think they probably were. I think I have to agree with you there. Yes. Uh, I do know it gets slightly more diverse when you include the cheerleaders. So maybe that's what he meant. Because look, if you look at the middle of the front row, there's an Asian lass. So um, we, we are getting a little bit more diversity. Dan focusing on hard there. <laughs> so, so, so just but, scanning yes. through the image. Where is she? Where is she? Where is she? But, maybe when you start you know, broadening out the organization, you do get a little bit more diversity. But, uh, but yeah, I don't think... But anyway, my, my point with Mark Cuban is it's so stupid. He can't, he cannot believe this. So I, I do think that he's possibly being lined up as a reserve candidate in case they need to get rid of Biden. I'm so bored of paid liars though. And that's what he is if he's yeah. smart enough. Well, you can't be on the Democrat platform and tell the truth. I mean, it's just incompatible. So yeah, I, I, put a 50, you, I put a 50 quid bet on Mark being the candidate this morning. Who would you rather hang out with though? Like a genuine retard or a paid liar? Retard every time, right? Yes. Yes. That's why we love yes. being on here with you. Yeah, I know. It's it's just way more <laughs> truthful. Yes. You get a lot more colour in your conversation, ironically. Yeah. But but again, let me let me reiterate the central point. If you hire on any criteria other than competency, you will get less competency. You know, for example, if you are trying to find the best chess player in the United States and you only look in Montana, you might find the best chess player in the United States. Do we have to spell this out? But it's also... You know, I, think, I think we do because... Okay, so let's move <laughs> Even on I to, get this. Let, let, let's move on to... <laughs> Even Alan. <laughs> Boeing. And he doesn't know what day it is. <laughs> <laughs> Boeing on, um, ha- on, on diversity, um, in, inclusion, and equity, or whatever it is. So uh, a quick seg- a segment from, from the Boeing's uh, CEO message on this. Uh, I, I quote, We prioritise diversity, inclusion as measurable business imperatives that are vital to achieving better business outcomes. Okay. Obvious lie. So, I mean, again, I'm going to ask the question here. You know, what happens to the incentive of recruitment managers in an organization, organization like this? Because, you know, have any recruitment managers been told that their job depends on upping the amount of dye in the organization? Yeah, I would imagine it has happened. I mean, anecdotally, I've heard of that. I've heard of not just that their job is dependent on it; that they will get financial bonuses if they hire more people of diverse backgrounds. Yes, so it's logically true. It's anecdotally true. Everybody who knows somebody who is a recruitment manager knows that they have been told you must up your die. And worse than that, we know from experience that companies, when they can't reach their die percentages, even after that sort of finagling, they then lower the standards. Yes. Yes. Well, and even if they don't lower the standards, I mean, I'll just pose the question. Is it possible that if you're told that your bonus or your job depends on you increasing the amount of die, is it possible that you would take a candidate who falls below the competency line and push them through? Oh, they absolutely do. The, the, the funny thing is when we're talking about the competency, it's not just that people are not hitting the standards expected them from, say, standardized tests. People's standards are being so lowered. I think it was possibly in Alabama last year after one of the police brutality scandals, of course, uh, where people looked into it and found that some Alabama police stations were actually removing requirements for police officers who were trying to apply for not having been a former convict. So former convicts, it's not just in terms of the intelligence that you're looking for, it's in the temperament, the behavioral standards. All the standards disappear. Just thrown out of the window. If If you're telling me that somebody who has previously been a convict is nine times out of 10 
going to be more competent at administering the law than somebody who hasn't been, yes. then I don't believe you. I think you're lying. Well, and, and just turn the question around. Would you want to give a, a proven lawbreaker a badge? Because that, that makes it a lot easier Would to... Would you like to give him a gun? Yes. Well, I'd imagine he's already got one. How about an aircraft with 300 souls on board? Mm. Well, yes, that, that, that's another angle to this as well. Um, so coming back, to, coming back to Boeing and that, and that panel blowing off, um, look, we don't know exactly what happened on that. You know, the, 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 the looking into hasn't been done. It is entirely possible that only boring men in their 50s were involved in assembling that particular aircraft. That could be the case. They just got a bit sleepy on the yeah. job. Well, no, it, it, that, that could legitimately be, be the case. And it's, no, also, it's also possible um, that the entire team who put that aircraft together were diverse, but they were genuinely competent. They had passed the competency threshold to get onto it. What I'm saying is, is I'll keep saying this, if you select on any criteria than, other than competency, you will get less competency. And therefore, it is legitimate to ask if, if competency is being pushed down in this organization, what impact does it have? now? At this point, I want to turn to an excellent substack <clears throat> from our friend uh, Morgoth, um, who, who I don't believe he has been on the pod yet. We'd, we'd like to get him on, but um, but uh, he he has an excellent subset. So stick at, check out um, Morgoth.substack.com, and and he's basically laid out the whole thing here, um, which is which is very helpful because because he basically did a lot of my work for me. Um, and, and as very you kind of him, as, as you correctly note, Harry, I, I am a diversity hire myself. Um, that was Callum, actually. So, oh right, even yes. then, yes. Um, well, because no I'm, attention span. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a desperately good podcaster, but Carl just wanted another Gen Xer in the office because he was fed up of making cultural references that nobody understood. So, um, you know, rather than having the most competent podcaster, you've got me. And um, <clears throat> anyway, so let's have a look at what uh, what what argument. He, oh yes, so so Morgoth. Has has pulled out some very helpful bits from um, the the Boeing um, literature, um, such as uh, yes, such as this. Boeing continued to make progress on our commitment to advance representation inclusion across our company. We know diversity must be at the table for every important our decision we make, every challenge we face, every innovation we design. Equity, diversity, inclusion are core values because they make Boeing and each of us individually better. So. Um, Interesting. It's not. It's not competency. It's not making aircrafts that hold together mid-flight. The, the the core competency is is diversity. But everybody who who dies in a plane crash that happens because of these sorts of things will die knowing that they died in service of a better society, in service of a better future. They can die yes. knowing that their soul, as well as their culture, has been enriched. Well, I mean, I I, I have questions on that. So Morgoth also found this. Um, so this is um, Jada West, who was saying, I was encouraged, and she's, she's a Boeing hire, mm -hmm. I was encouraged to push my boundaries and take opportunities outside of my comfort zone. Um, now you say that, Harry, but... Um, oh, from the inaugural Thurgood Marshall College Fund, everybody's, everybody's favorite former Supreme Court justice. Look, even if, even if you're you know, Jada's brother or sister or close family member, when you put, when when they get on an airplane, I wonder: Do they want that airplane to be made by people who were hired purely on competency inside their comfort zone, or do they want to be sat on an aircraft that was made by people who were hired for reasons other than competency who were operating outside of their comfort zone? 
I think even Jaden's brother and sister would agree that they probably want the latter. You know, this is this is this is not a race space point. I think, you know, no matter what you are, black, white, Hispanic, North Italian, cave Jew, Mongolian, Mormon, whatever you are, you want to sit on a plane that has been well made, right? Break down a Boeing staff. I like the idea of someone having a breakdown. Wait, this plane was put together by Mormons? <laughs> oh, God, get me off! <laughs> uh, new, new hires at Boeing. Um, because of the, so they've got, they got a whole racial breakdown of, of, of who works at Boeing. Um, by now, ethnicity. You, you notice the higher up the organization you go, the whiter it gets. Um, but they are correcting that with their new hires. So their new hires are 47.5%. Um, the funny thing I find is that when racial you... Minorities. When you see that the board of directors is 25% as opposed to 16.7% minority now, yeah. oftentimes you'll get statements after these people leave these positions where they speak to um, magazines and journals and such, and they say, yeah, I was definitely just there for the photographs. I would put ideas forward and nobody would listen to them. Yeah. So I, I, was, I was working in the city when... The, the sort of proto die came along, which was which was at the time in the in the sort of early two thousands. It was let's get women on boards. Um, that's what it was back then. So, so that you can pad yeah. the statistics and you can have them front and center in all of the promotional. Material. And and basically, what happened is because there was only because a lot of women they leave the workforce because they have other priorities. They want to focus on family. They make that choice themselves. They want to focus on family. But you still do get a few women who rise to the top in organisations, big companies who started their own. But there's there's relatively few of them. And so what I was seeing in the city when in in the early sort of two thousands was there was a cadre of about 20 or 30 50-year-old women who had the right experience who would be on like 60, 70 boards each. And, and their entire job would be to do one day a month or half a day a month with various businesses. And they'd just go from board, and that's all they did, just go from board meeting to board meeting. And how did that pay? Oh, e each board job, well, back then would have paid about 12 grand a year, so basically 1,000 pounds a month. But if you've got, you got 50 of them, well, yeah, that's the yeah. thing, isn't it? It's 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 good living. So yeah, I've I've, I've sort of seen this seen this one emerge himself. But my my point of looking at this is, you know, America is still sixty two percent white, um, and Boeing's new hires are only fifty two percent white. So they they're already doing the exclusion bit of DEI, and have been for some time. By yes, the measurements there. Yes. Now now for the fedora tippers who get really into the into the detail, I, I, Morgoth did pick out that the, the particular panel bit in this aircraft apparently a large part of that was outsourced to something called um um spirit um spirit something uh, yes yeah, so aero systems that's the one so so morgan writes um in in um in the 737 model fuselage that lost a panel mid-flight was a company called spirit aero systems based in canvas ah yes clever boeing is merely paying lip service to the woke agenda while outsourcing actual engineering to boring white men in their 50s that spirit. So um, I'm reminded of those images of that submarine from last year. Yes. Say hello to our team. Yes. Yes. Um, and it's not just the aircraft design itself. You know this this because you know when when this is a you know tweet from somebody pointing out that um, United Airlines wants to make half of its um, pilots um, women or people of color. So basically, they 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 want to take. Um, you know, they, they want to force this through the, the person actually flying, ha having to land the plane that's falling apart as well. Now, this is not to say that women or people of color can't be very competent pilots. 
I'm saying that if you are forcing through a an arbitrary mandate to increase the number, you're going to have to push some people through who wouldn't have made the line otherwise. Well, what, what you're doing is you're arbitrarily limiting the potential candidates that yes. you can hire from. And so you will, by virtue of doing that, be reducing the number of competent people that you could be hiring. Yes. And you will be potentially, yeah. once again, as we pointed out, as always happens, lowering the standards to accommodate for getting these people in. Well, normally, normally we have this particular standard and we need to hire 10 people. But only five people within this candidate pool hit this standard. So therefore, we're going to have to bring it down just mm. a bit so we can justify hiring another five of you out of this. Yes. Pool. Yeah, and you, and you can see why people are talking increasingly about a competency crisis because, you know, we, frankly, I didn't care when it was in the academics. I, I didn't even particularly care that much when it was in the Supreme Court. But when it's the people making and flying my aircraft, I think I care. When it begins to affect things that you interact with on a daily basis, yes, yes, all of a sudden the ability to maintain and operate complex yes. systems becomes very important. <laughs> yes, you, you might possibly have a segment coming up in, in a few moments about the ability to maintain complex systems in... The inability. In, in, in certain countries, so that's the truth. There's a uh, weird um, schadenfreude to this for the Russians, because I met a guy in Russia whose grandfather lived during the Soviet Union, and Soviet universities operated on a system of affirmative action. So they would uh, hire people based on their ethnic group. And this was against the Russian majority, he was telling me, which you know, is really weird, but obviously is exactly the same world the Americans now live in. And now in the 90s and then to today, that system got dropped because the Soviet Union collapsed. And this dude was telling me all this. And he was just laughing when I told him about what goes on in the US like this. He was like, how did you guys end up copying Soviet theory that even we got rid of? Because it didn't bloody work. Yeah. Yes. Our, our crack team of producers have just dropped another link in. Um, this, is a, this is a tweet from Ashley St. Clair. So I'm, I'm reading this for the first time. Um, on July 29th, the United plane was nearly totaled after a hard landing. Who was flying that aircraft? The co-pilot was a former flight attendant who was fired and then rehired through United's DEI program despite being on the list to not return to United. So, wait, wait, not only did they get fired for incompetence, but they got a bump from flight attendant to co-pilot. Amazing. Okay. Um, am I correct in thinking this individual failed multiple trainings, including a simulator training? Am I we, also... We, we just need to bump up the statistics, so who cares? Who cares? We need them. Get them through the door. Am I also correct? United has covered up this DEI disaster and many others. Yeah. So, I mean, another question about Mark Cuban... I haven't checked, but do Are you think you dumb? Do, do you think Mark Cuban's because I'm pretty sure he's got a personal jet. Do you think his personal jet is is flying by a, a diversity <laughs> hire? <laughs> Live your values, bro. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, final final thoughts on the coming uh, competency crisis because there are there are further implications from it. Scott Adams here makes a really good point. Um, recommended question for all white male job applicants to ask when you're in an interview. Do you have a DEI group in this company? If so, how can I be sure I would have equal opportunity for advancement here? Now, the reason this is an important point is if you are a competent white male and you're thinking of going into something like Boeing. Now, Boeing is one of those, I mean, some jobs people move around a lot. Engineering jobs, people tend to work there for bloody decades once they get in. If you're a competent young engineer who happens to be a white male, why would you go and work at Boeing knowing that your, advance, your, your prospects for advancement are clearly limited 
because the organization is telling you very clearly they want to get the group that you are in down to the smallest level of representation that they can. For the exact same reason that people who are black in the United States would go and work for companies that were explicitly anti-black back in the day. You've got a choice. Well, some people won't have a choice, but a lot of people will say, okay, I'm going to look at something different. I'm going to go and set up my own thing. I'm going to go and work for a smaller engineering firm. Just start your own airline. Well, not. I mean, there are plenty of other engineering firms that you can go and work for. Don't get me wrong, they exist, yeah. but it's, it's just not the industry, is it? No, but what I'm saying is at the margin, you are going to have people who, I mean, there will be some people who are absolutely committed to doing avionics. And there are some people who could have gone into it who would have been competent and will instead see stuff like this and decide to go elsewhere. And that will, that will start to feed back on this competency mechanism. So not only are the people they're bringing in less competent, but they won't be able to hire the competent people if they happen to be white, which happens to be the majority population of the US. And therefore, this competency crisis is probably only getting started. Highly hmm. correct. Well, I suppose we'll move on to... Dropping some white pills for everybody out there. All right. Wonderful. And uh, I've got a theory. So we've looked at the companies that are hiring purely based on diversity. Now let's take a look at some of the countries which have these uh, incredible talent pools that we're taking this diversity from. And ah, our, where everyone is diverse. Where everybody is as diverse as they can. What a wonderful because, place to hire from. Because there are no white people. Therefore, 100% diverse. It's just a bounty just like of So first, I, 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 have, I have a theory. And tell me if this theory goes a little bit too far, but I do think that there is something to it, right? You know how the children, through revealed preference of playing Minecraft, yearn for the mines? We know this for a fact. <laughs> okay, sure. Right. Through revealed and stated preference of constantly whining that the world, read the US and European nations, constantly need to come in and fix their problems, I think... Africa yearns for recolonization. A few of the countries definitely do seem to whine a lot. So, unironically, un I did spend time, I haven't been to Africa, but I did uh, spend time in India. And the amount of young Indian people who legitimately said to me they want the British Empire back, when I was like, yeah, me too. But, but unironically, they do, a lot of people do think that. Yeah, I, I honestly would not be surprised because we came over there, we gave them. Competent governance. We gave them bridges, and we um, a wheel, the wheel. In many cases, uh, we also accidentally, essentially, induced a population bomb on the continent, which uh, a lot of the more traditional methods of living are not able to sustain over there. Which is why they're constantly starving, and we constantly need to go give them foreign aid and give them food and airdrops and, so, and such. So uh, it seems to me that a lot of African countries want rule by the white man. But don't want the indignity <laughs> of saying that they're not being self-governed. Well, don't worry, because of course now all of the British leaders are non-white, as we've seen. In which case, we can have British Empire back, but it's now run by non-white people. Now, now it's run by Indians and Pakistanis. Yes, literally. So we've got the subcontinent. <laughs> Harry, Harry, are you are you pitching for the role of Viceroy of Cameroon or something? <laughs> <laughs> what what are the benefits? What's the pay grade look like? Is there room for employees? Well, you're, you're, you're going to have to. Will I have to? Will I have, have to supervise the building of a lot of bridges? From the looks of it, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> Listen, so this was all inspired by this particular tweet that was going around um, the other day, which was from a place called Africa Hub, a Twitter account called Africa Hub, where it showed this um, 
slightly amusing video. It is horrifying to a certain degree, but also kind of funny with the context that this is a woman trying to cross an African bridge across a river which is rather poorly put together, shall we say. I mean, it's two sticks. It's two sticks and some other sticks higher up that you can use as a handhold. And she loses all of her stuff. She loses balance. She was carrying a, um, a load of things on her head, what looked like some food supplies, and it drops in the river, gets carried away, and she has to struggle to get to the other end. And the fact that she was carrying a large quantity of food supplies tells you that that is almost certainly a heavily used through route. This, this, yes. is, this is not... This is common. Yeah, they're not hiking here. This, this is very common in certain parts of Africa. I will reference it in a bit, but when Mr. Beast got in trouble for going to Africa and building wells and literally building bridges, because Africa wants your help building bridges until you do it, and that's neo-colonialism. Wait, wait, why did he get in trouble for that? Uh, because I think he went to, I, I think it was Guana and some other countries in East Africa and built bridges and built wells, and the governments, the totally yeah. legit and not corrupt governments of those countries said, this makes us look bad, how could you do this to us? Right. Well, just because you're the ones not supplying any infrastructure to these places and the populations don't seem to be able to do it themselves, I mean, that's, that's a you problem. If you want to be able to get clean water and cross rivers, and you have to accept international aid, or some guy on YouTube with big bucks to come and do it for you, that's a you problem. So this tweet, it's not just the video, because it's Africa Hub, it just seems to, I looked at the account and tried to see what was going on with it, and it just seemed to be an account that is telling the African stories of the world where they go, oh, look, Niger's military leadership has decided they're going to nationalize the water sector and kick France out which I'm sure is going to end very, very well. So it's a, it's a beautiful tapestry of great ideas. Every single time, <laughs> excellent ideas. We've got a brand new one 51 minutes ago celebrating Idi Amin. <laughs> I'm why, sorry, but yeah. Yeah, why it was a great idea to get the British out of Uganda. Everything went well off that. Yeah. Here's, okay. here's an in-shape African guy doing exercise. I mean, fair play to him. <coughs> they like, can't... use a tire? I mean, what else would you expect them to use? Come on. But this Wait. account, tire weighs stuff. Okay. Tire weighs something. Everything yep. weighs something if you try hard enough. Uh, it, it captioned this tweet with, The world has failed the people of the Democratic Republic of Congo, the rape capital of the world. Sad face. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but yeah, sorry. Of all the countries, that is the biggest joke. I mean, people talk about Somalia being a failed state or the rise of ISIS or something. There's too many failed states to count, really. But the Democratic Republic of the Congo is has been. I mean, they almost they they did cause and became what was it? World War Africa? Have you heard of it? Which is just a huge gigantic civil wars. It was a huge war between massive uh, different uh, factions in the country that then spilled over into the neighboring countries. So about a third of Africa was all at war to try and put down different forces in the Congo. I mean, it is just an utter calamity. Of I've never heard of that. But Callum, I'll say but, it like. but Callum, huh. Callum, have you considered that they have Democratic Republic in the name of the country? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, okay, they, great. <laughs> they must be a well-governed and non-corrupt state. And as African Hub points out here, <coughs> there are no developments. Why is this? Due to the massive exploitation of the country. The exploitation by who? Exploitation by who? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, people shared their thoughts on this. There was, for a time, a, that was a mistake. <laughs> there was a community note underneath here, but it seems to have been taken off, pointing out that the Democratic Republic of Congo 
is an enormous receiver of foreign aid. So if you're saying that the world has failed you, and yet if you look here, how much is the EU giving to them every year? Well, the EU says that the UN's humanitarian response needs $2.25 billion to meet the needs of the vulnerable people of it. How much is the UA, uh, EU giving? 92 million euros. How much is the US giving? How much is the US giving? Well, they say $48 million purely for additional humanitarian assistance. Further in the article, they point out that this brings the total US humanitarian assistance to nearly $486 million for this fiscal year in response to urgent needs. Yeah. So we're giving them the money. It's one of the most resource-rich countries in the entire world. So, so after a certain point, whose fault does it become that people of local communities don't know how to put more than two sticks together. So can I still man their argument? I think what their argument basically is here is that it's, it's a country with lots of natural resources. And basically what Western companies have been doing for the last hundred years is going and buying those resources um, super cheap. And the way they basically do that is they go to a bunch of the, the tribal elders and say, okay, well, we're going to give you loads of money and then we're going to extract the resources and they extract them for you know a, a tenth or a hundredth of what they would have had to have paid if those resources were on you know, a field in France, for example. Why is that though? Yes. Why, why is the oil actually not worth that much? Well, it's because you guys can't drill it. You've got no infrastructure for us to use as a company. Yeah, but that it's is a massive yeah. risk on our part. That's the thing I always hear about. There's that also argument. all of yes. the political instability. I mean, there yes. was a giant civil war going yes. on there. Why would anybody invest in a country where but, you don't know? But if that, the that's the still man argument you. that you that they want to be made here, because you know theoretically, if we paid them the same price that we would pay, you know, a farmer in Dorset, if we happened to discover vast amounts of cobalt under his field, um, that that's the argument they're trying to make. But exactly your point is, yeah, but you've got to extract it. The man in Dorset won't shoot me if he just doesn't like me one day. Yes. Um, the man in Dorset has roads nearby I can use to, yes. to ship the stuff out. And also the man in Dorset, I don't know. I, I just it seems like a safer bet. Well, and also in general. also you can't I mean, go to the man in Dorset and buy his uncle a Mercedes in exchange for the rights to take whatever you want from his field. You we have a system of property rights, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what happened in Zimbabwe? Uh, oh, we've got all these white farmers. We don't like that they're white. We need to give all of this land back to our black farmers. Mm. Why are we starving now? This Please, is the, come back, white farmers. So this is the age-old question. I, th I think you're hitting on the wider topic, which is how many years since decolonization do you have to wait until colonization wasn't a factor in what's going on anymore? And I think we've waited enough. I mean, mm. I think, I forget what his name is, L L Lumembe, whatever his name is, the president of the DRC back when decolonization happened. People like to point to the fact that he was assassinated. And they say, oh, this is what threw the country into turmoil. Yeah, but that was, what, 50 years ago, 60 years ago now? So how long does that stop being a factor? How long until you stop giving excuses for yourself and just say, okay, we can't run the country or the people in charge of the country are completely corrupt or the people of the country um, aren't able to build bridges for some reason? Uh, as I pointed out, Mr. Beast had to go into a lot of these places across East Africa and build bridges and build basic infrastructure, build wells, and the corrupt governments of those countries said, this is making us look bad, how dare you? So if you don't want Africa to be starving, you will have to go over the heads of a lot of these governments and even just do it as private enterprise a lot of the time because otherwise these people will be left in terrible conditions and will be left to die of dysentery, of disease and starvation. Well, they could get a job at Boeing. 
Well, that's that's another thing. They could also travel up to the north of Africa yes. and pay a few human traffickers uh, a bit of money so that they mm. can get a boat over to Europe, at which point our governments will be more than happy to uh, give you asylum, will be more than happy to give you as much money as you want on welfare. And then if you decide, not that you have to, there's no pressure, bro. Don't feel that you have to. But if you do decide that you want to get a job, you can probably get an easy one on DEI anyway. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's another option for these people. But once again, that suggests to me that they're desperate for some kind of non-corrupt political rule, uh, which can only come through the re-establishment <laughs> of our beautiful empire. You really are going for this viceroy job, aren't you? You're working for Rishi. <laughs> no, I'm going to be I'm going to be the head PR manager. That's what right. I'm going to be. And it reminds me of uh, something. Well, first of all, actually, somebody under the original post decided to post a here's a picture of a single man building a bridge. And you'll notice here, he's what, what you may say when you say, oh, well, these people are coming and taking all of their natural resources. There seems to be only a limited amount of resources needed to build a bridge. And if I look into the background of this video, hmm, there, there is indeed wood. There is indeed yes. wood. In fact, th that looks like some hefty logs over there. I've seen some uh, people did respond to this by showing that there are uh, pre-Roman Britain bridges built that have been discovered by archaeologists. So if you're literally living in the barbarian age, yes, we're talking about before the Romans, you can still build wooden bridges. It's not hard. Yeah, I saw those yes. as well. They'd been excavated from the underground, hadn't they? There was a top layers of soil on top of it. You would dig underneath it, and oh my goodness, there's the, um, there's the stilts for a bridge on there. Because this brings a, a deeper question, which is, of course, the governments in these particular countries are utterly corrupt and destroying everything, and it, yeah. it's that bad, don't get me wrong. But then you have to wonder, I mean, you look at other countries in the world that have corrupt governments, and yet their populations are able to build the basics, just in spite of the oppression by the state and the, and the large taxes they put on them, given what they actually have. So then you have to wonder, on a population level, are we looking at something even worse here? Because, I mean, this dude's just built a bridge. I mean, yeah. it, it isn't yeah. the newest technology. It isn't something you, you need to... Well, uh, as, mean, as you correctly say, you could do this in the Bronze Age. I mean, if... if no, if, no food security. Hmm. Still living in tribal situations, but they built bridges. I mean, if, if you're just a random guy out in the woods and you have access to wood, sharp tools, and you've spent probably about 10 minutes on any number of bridge building games that are available on Steam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about that. You could do this. <laughs> An awful lot of cheap smartphones in the world. Man. There are cheap smartphones that you can do bridge building games where you just Simple right. support bridge to get these little people from this part of the country. I suppose, I suppose the, co the, content, yep. the, the, the idea is stress load. I, okay, I'll give the, you that. The, yeah. the basic mechanics of it, yes. you'll have a better idea, and you could do something like this yourself if you have access to a bit of wood, some sharp tools to do some cutting, yes. and basically d d uh, the willpower and determination to do it. Yes. You can, you can do it yourself, but there are certain populations that still haven't been able to, to do this and require international aid and assistance to be able to come to do it. Wooden bridge. Mm. Yes. Go to wooden bridge. But, all right. I mean, once again, uh, the interesting thing is it did remind me, and I saw a few people sharing this, because it always goes back to this particular thing. Empire of Dust, the legendary now documentary that's actually set in the Republic of Congo, uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where the, uh, you've probably seen, this is where the meme of the man going, the Chinese man going, it's also tiresome. Oh, is that where it comes yeah, from? Yeah, this is where oh, it comes right. from. Are you, okay. are you aware of the context? I'll explain it to you, Dan. So the, the uh, description of the plot, you yeah. could say, 
because uh, it's a documentary, is Lao Yang and Eddie both work for a company called Chinese Railway Engineering Company. They have just set up camp near the remote mining town of Kalwezi in the Katanga province of the RDC, which was, I assume, the, at the time uh, state... Uh, its name, name keeps changing. Yeah, the, no co- the Congo. Yeah, I, I imagine why. Yeah. The goal of the company is to redo the road covering 300 kilometer, uh, kilometer, kilometers bloody hell, that connect Kalwezi to the capital of the province, Lumba, uh, Lubumbashi. Lao Yang is head of logistics of the group. He is responsible for the equipment, building materials, and food, uh, mostly chickens, to arrive in the isolated Chinese, uh, uh, Chinese prefab camp. The Congolese government was supposed to deliver these things, but so far the team hasn't received anything. With Eddie, a Congolese man who speaks Mandarin fluently, fair play to the guy, I wasn't expecting that, as an intermediate, Lao Yang is forced to leave the camp and deal with the local Congolese entrepreneurs but, uh, because without the construction materials, the roadworks will cease. Obviously. What follows is an endless, harsh, but absurdly funny roller coaster of negotiations and misunderstandings as Lao Yang learns about the Congolese way of making deals. <laughs> I want to watch this film now. Well, I'll play a clip from you, and this is a very notorious clip that gets shared around on Twitter. Well, especially because the Chinese just do not have a filter when it comes to talking oh, about yeah. these issues. L- uh, Lao Yang really doesn't, because I assume this is Eddie right here, and he just tells him everything that is wrong with the country straight to his face. So if you're just listening to the audio of this right now, it will just be Chinese uh, in your ear. You can read it for them. For for a minute, but we'll give you the gist of it because there are subtitles for those watching. We'll give you the gist of it once it's done. So let's play this clip. Gutinia, 你看现在顶上那个什么玩意儿千疮百孔啊破烂不堪啊把原因留下的东西根本都没有没有更加的爱护保护去留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留留
And now they have skyscrapers, bullet trains, and are taking over high-tech industries. Yeah. And yes. kind of stealth colonizing a lot of Africa as well, yes. as, as we see in the documentary itself. But they have to deal with the intermediaries and the actual population on the ground to be able to rely on local resources, and they can't. And this isn't necessarily a question of intelligence. This is a question of a particular work ethic, cultural attitudes that people hold as well as you could talk about general competency. Because what we're yes. seeing there, what he's describing at the end there, if you're going to look at it from economic terms, mm -hmm. uh, is high time preference. A lot of these populations have very, very high time preference. They don't want to, as Jordan Peterson would recommend, for instance, put things off till tomorrow so they can have something better tomorrow. They want what they can get right now. Yes. Right now, that's what they want. Well, as the academic agent says we've had on the show, there are only two demographics that matter those who have built civilizations and those who haven't. Absolutely. It's a hard, hard statement to question. Uh, and, but speaking of general competency, I did want to point out that on the website, this is one of the most popular articles that we've got on here. And it's really worth a read if you've got the time for it. And if you don't have the time to read it, then you can listen to it if you're a Silver member, which is Josh's old article that's uh, over two years old now, but still as interesting as ever, talking about the dumbest country on earth, which is in terms of raw IQ scores for average country uh, of the countries uh, is a um, West African country called Equator uh, Equatorial Guinea, which is 59 points. That's the average IQ. So, that, that, that's so half of the population is below 59. And 60 is clinically retarded. I think 70 <laughs> is what he lists here. Below 70 is the generally recognized benchmark to consider someone clinically retarded. So clearly what we need to do is import as many of these people into the West as we possibly can and then put DEI requirements on every high-competency business. Because that will clearly work. Well, I, don't, thing, I, don't think, I don't think these populations are the ones generally coming to Europe. Is no, the interesting that's thing. the funny thing about Josh's article here. I mean, a bit of a spoiler. But the, the tr sad tragedy of a society that looks like that is there's basically like a couple of families who are, well, average. And of course, that means they're just stealing massive amounts of money from the general population and living like kings while everyone else lives in poverty. That's all you end up with. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you've got an 85 IQ in Equatorial Guinea, you can live like You're a, a king. Yeah. You're a king. You can take advantage of anything and anyone. Yeah. But that's the thing. There's... Um, once again, when you look at data like that, you don't have to make a particular value judgment over it, over you know the worth of these people. If you think it's they're good or bad, you can just look at it and say, okay, from an objective standpoint, these are not people who are going to be able to contribute much of any economic value to a developed Western nation if you bring them over here. Which is always the thing that we get told is we're being given economic value. And then this is the crazy foreign thing: nations. This is either true or it isn't, and you know it looks to be true but you're not allowed to acknowledge that. Mm. There, was, there was no acknowledgement of this in the mainstream discourse at all. And so instead, you have to default to other explanations when you, when you, see, when you encounter the difference in outcomes. But moving on to the next thing, talking of bridges and everything, uh, which is that people point out that there is, there is this bridge in Ethiopia that was uh, built by Europeans centuries ago. And the Ethiopians, after it got bombed in 1941 during the war, uh, never rebuilt it and crossed it via ropes. Now, this goes around every so often as well. I think you actually, was it you or John that sent this to me, Dan? I think it was John that sent it to me. I decided to look into this bridge and see what was How going on. built centuries ago by Europeans? I assume when we colonized it. So we didn't colonize Ethiopia until the Italians. Oh, did we not? 
Oh, well, I assume maybe some kind of uh, trade route, perhaps. I don't know. That doesn't I, make sense. I don't know. Either way, it was it was uh, built by Europeans and destroyed in 1941. And uh, they just decided to cross it with ropes, which led to about five deaths per year because of this. And it was only repaired in February of 2002 by American engineers. So, so for those listening, <coughs> it's, a, it's a large arch, uh, stone arch bridge where the connections between two arches are being blown out and people are, are basically swinging themselves in rope across. But I mean, it wouldn't take that much to even put a wooden rejoinder across that bit. It, it, nope. It's not that difficult. And it looks like... Looks like some of the Romans would have left. Yeah, it looks like 70% of the span is already covered. Mm -hmm. Well, once again, it was repaired in 2002 by Americans and then a, another bridge company, presumably American, did a lasting repair in 2005, and now there's a more modern bridge support around it so that people don't have to throw themselves off a bridge and have five people die per year trying to cross it. I mean, it looks fun. <laughs> it looks fun. I wouldn't do uh, it. Uh. Personally, that's not for me. And to, to end this off, going back to responses to the original tweet from Africa Hub, this person decided to give his story. Now, bear in mind, this is a story from Twitter that a random Anon has put out. So you can say, you can cast some doubt on it, but it does seem to line up with a lot of other stories I've heard from people who've gone into Africa and tried to help out the local communities there and then gone back after they've helped. So he points out, it reminds him of his time in Africa as a young man. He learned that 60% of the tomato har harvest in the area he was in went to spoil each year. So he built an air dryer out of simple village materials and made huge batches of sun-dried tomato pesto that year to give away. Everybody loved it, and the matriarchs loved using the dry tomato in meals. I told them that they could keep the air fryer and possibly sell it for side income next harvest. I left at the end of my term and checked back a year later. The air fryer was dismantled for the wood and the parts. Yep. Very, very high time preference behavior. Right there, and, and and again, this is this is the thing. So, if people started going over and building bridges in Africa, a lot of the time they would get dismantled pretty quickly for firewood and spare parts. Yes, and once again, there are some people casting questions as to whether this is true or not in the comments. I think the spirit of it is what's yeah. certainly true here, because once again, I've read many, many stories of people who've gone out and lived in those areas, and this seems to be the general attitude of a lot of the people who live there. Which means, once again. Revealed preference to me seems to be that they desperately want us to come back. They need us. You'll get your voice for a job. All right. Yeah, soon, boys. I suppose we'll, we'll move on and uh, enjoy. Not looking forward to that video comment I can see coming. I don't know what that's going to be about. <laughs> Which video comment? Did you not see the, the massive Indian flag? Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know where that's going. But anyway. Who needs toilets anyway? <laughs> that's what I'm worried about. You've all been tricked by big toilets. I want to talk about something serious today, which is I'm actually a little bit worried. Like, I don't put much stock in this, but maybe like 5% of my brain, and I hate to be Tim Paul, is genuinely worried about a civil war in the United States as well. Oh, yeah. Of the 2024. Oh, it's not my base case, but you definitely have to assign a non zero probability to it. I'm not the only one. Yeah. Okay. And the, the thing that, that brought me to this conclusion is the following, which, if we get this up, you can see here, this is just a one of those websites that shows you the prediction of the next presidential election. And they have here, based on the current polling, Donald Trump already has a win. And the states that are up for toss aren't relevant. They'd be nice to have, but they don't actually matter. So they think he's locked up 277 electoral votes before 
If you go even get into the contentious ones. So if you take the the polling by state and then plot it in, which is why I presume this uh, uh, website is done here because I've tried to do it myself as well, and I came to a similar conclusion. Trump's already won. If the election was done tomorrow, he'd win easily. That's obviously not going to happen because you've got a year of campaigning and all sorts of shenanigans will go on. And, and Biden might be replaced. But if you're not Trump, let's say you're the other guy and you're looking at that, you would probably shit yourself. Rightfully yep. so. Because you would think, Jesus Christ, I've painted him as everything, including Hitler. And this is the result. People want him back. And that should be, in a normal situation, okay, that didn't work, your presidency. That was a waste of time. In fact, it, it really, really didn't work and has gone terribly. But of course, that can't be the response. Instead, the response has been, let's just kick him off the ballot. Which, amazing tactic, if nothing else, in the sense of, are you serious? And this is in Colorado, to begin with, of course, in which the state of Colorado, their Supreme Court, decided that they could just kick Donald Trump off the ballot and then cite the 14th Amendment, saying he caused an insurrection, which is basically what the, that, that was written for, right? Not mm. an actual civil war, but no, instead. And they've well, been suggesting for a long time that that's why they've been going so hard on the insurrection rhetoric, yeah. so that they could fit it into the 14th Amendment. But and the, only, the only evidence of insurrection they've got is MSNBC coverage. Yeah, this is the, the disconnect between reality and then the attempts, of course, because if anyone, we'll get back to it in a minute, but the obvious video evidence exists of what Donald Trump did that day, and it's him giving a speech, then some people breaking the Capitol whilst he's still speaking, and then they go off and start doing that. He stops speaking, and then puts out a series of tweets and videos telling them to be peaceful and to leave the Capitol. Then Twitter deletes his account, so you can't see him doing that, and then for the next several months, wall-to-wall coverage of how he'd caught an insurrection. And then the ultimate goal, which people speculated, came true, which is that several states are like, well, because we've said it enough, we'll now just lie to ourselves in court mm. and say that he should be off the ballot so he physically can't come back because obviously people actually quite like him and would vote for him. Okay. Works that, every time. That, that isn't small. I think that's really scary and we should take it somewhat seriously because, of course, that's Colorado to begin there. And they say in here that the... the the case has obviously now gone to the Supreme Court of the United States, but that won't be heard until the 8th of February. That's as the Republican presidential primary will already be underway. Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada will have already voted. Now, almost certainly Trump is going to win the primary. He's going to be the candidate, I think. It would be stupid gone. to do anything else. It, it, well, it would be statistically really, really unlikely, given the polling. So, okay, if that went the other way, it's unlikely to, you would presume. The Supreme Court, everyone presumes, is just going to bat this down. But that's a presumption. And of course, this then went on to Maine. Maine decided they'd kick him off the ballot as well. I mean, this one was very funny, to say the least, because the lady, the uh, Secretary of State for the state there, she came out and said, democracy is sacred. That was her first line. I am mindful that no Secretary of State has ever deprived a presidential candidate of ballot access based on the section of the 14th Amendment. I am also mindful, however, that no presidential candidate has ever before engaged in insurrection. So she said, yeah. democracy is so important, that's why I'm doing this. Uh, trust me, he did engage in insurrection. But as you rightly point out, there is no... No one's convinced by that. All of the polling on the January 6th committee shows that the public don't care. They knew it was just political pandering. To yourselves. Not to the public, to yourselves. And once again, it's, it, re it really doesn't... 
you can't emphasize enough that throughout 2020, after George Floyd's uh, death, the Democrats actively mobilized their own client groups to cause chaos across cities in America that killed multiple people and caused billions in property damage. And And they completely ignore that. They completely ignore that Democrats have been promoting things like the Innocence Project forever, which is something which is explicitly a scheme to get guilty minorities out of prison. Well, in those circumstances as well, we're looking at what is the politician's response exactly. And the exact response was either they deserve it, abolish the police, or we need to rise up. Uh, no point was there, please go home, be peaceful, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Politicians didn't tweet that from Democrats. Was it, um, what, um, what, what's the one, Portland, Oregon? That, that was, is that the place That's where... That's the place the, where I went off the deep the, end. The mayor completely was on the side of Antifa the entire time. Whilst they were firebombing officers. Yeah, and then they came to his house and said, this isn't good enough, and tried to attack his house. And at that point, all of a sudden, you can okay, maybe the police are needed here. It's, I mean, there's a reason the uh, Homeland Security guys had to go there. And in California, the interesting conversation is that there, the debate is about why haven't we kicked Donald Trump off the ballot? <coughs> Again, three states where he probably shouldn't win, even in a, a free and fair election, but it's interesting to see. Part of me still wonders if Donald Trump won California last time round. I doubt it. I really do. But you we'll, get to, that, we'll then, get to that in a minute. I've got right, a, okay. a good case. Yeah. But the, the conversation here is about why haven't we? And the quote from this Secretary of State for California says, if I believe in this democracy that is here, I have to basically continue to abide by the rule of law. And for me not to do that, I would be no better than Donald Trump. So even California is like, well, that's mad. That's obviously an insane thing to do. But they didn't stop Colorado and Maine from doing it. And this brings us back to... Um, I like the well, idea what, that in California, they opened up the dictionary definition for democracy and get, went, guys, <laughs> you're never going to believe this. Turns out... I don't think we can <laughs> kick Trump off. Yeah. I, and this brings me back to something really gross here, because of course, I, I just said, Donald Trump probably won't win these states anyway if, and if they kick him off and then the election goes ahead like that. But that's really not good enough, is it? Because you've still got millions of people in those states who have now massively been disenfranchised purely because the American system is now going this way needlessly. Mm. And so I wanted to look at some data real quick. And I'll start off with this, which is a uh, graph I made last time of postal votes, so mail-in voting, per presidential election. So you can see here it was on a general upward trend from 96, where it was 7.6% of the public sent in a postal vote. Didn't really matter all that much. And then 2016, it was about 20%. Not a general trend, I think, that is healthy. But then in 2020, it jumped to 42% of all votes cast were mail-in postal votes, which is unusual. So, um, yeah, for some reason, I'm not going to use the 2020 election. I'm going to jump to the 2016 results to look at these individual states. Uh, that's, don't ask me why. But as you can see here, you have California. I mean, 4 million people, 31% of the electorate in California voted not for Hillary Clinton, but for Donald Trump there. And okay, he's not going to win that. No. The swing's not there. But that doesn't really matter. I mean, you've still got 4 million people completely disenfranchised. And that's just California. Then you get on to Colorado, and as you can see, it tightens quite a lot. There's a 5% difference between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. But first of all, I don't believe the California number because I think that the last election was not the first time where the Democrats have, have lent on the scale, have fortified. Um, but yeah. 
I'm just trying to pick a Donald Trump election in which I, I, I think I think ev everything that you consider even vaguely purple is is actually red if you count it properly. So you can take that perspective. Well, scroll but... scroll down so we can see the county map there. Yeah, as well, and you can see that there is a very clear divide. I would imagine that those big blue areas are mostly urban counties. But that's the same in every country. Yeah, which is the real divide between the right and the left is the urban versus rural mindset, and then the the in between is where the battle is. But you can see that if we take these numbers out of red, there's a very small margin there for actual victory. And then again, you've got another million people who are disenfranchised if this went ahead. And then you get to Maine, which surprised me, um, very small margin of 3%, as you can see there. Oh, really? 47 to 44. Which, I mean, Maine on every presidential map I ever see is always blue. It's always deep blue. Mm. Like, they are going to win this one. Um, but another 300,000 people who would be disenfranchised there. Which is mental. I mean, I'm sorry, but this just is not normal circumstances. Yeah. And what's the response? Because largely the response has been a further swing for Donald Trump by the public. That if you're the elite who did this and you think you're just going to get away with it, I mean, I don't know what their plan is, but currently they're just playing the victim, which, who's that convincing? But this is the lady in Maine who is like, I have death threats now. This is, this is a fear tactic from Donald Trump's campaign. I, I think that their plan is that they know that they have a weaponized legal system that they can deploy against people if needs be. If you're posting the wrong thing on social media, sorry, buddy, we've classified that as terroristic hate speech now. So you're going to get a knock on your door. And if that doesn't work, and if they can't get people on that, they know that they do still have large populations that they can deploy to cause chaos if they get well, the right and, and also bear in mind that during the pandemic they basically purged the military for of trump supporters by with the vaccine with with a mandate of some sort that came along a couple of years ago that was effectively used to purge free thinking right wingers from the military a lot of people keep posting it's again it's hard to tell please let us know um but a lot of people keep posting i see it um military emails or recruitment in which they're talking about now you don't need that certain something it's like, okay. That's, that's weird. Yeah. All because sudden, we, we might actually want to go to war with China now, so we need all the white boys to sign up again. So this uh, article here, though, where she's saying she has uh, faced uh, death threats since determining that Donald Trump was disqualified from being able to run for presidential election. Mm -hmm. And she said it was an effort to scare her and others. Now, um, tell me wrong, but I don't think the United States is about being spooky anymore. I don't think they're trying to scare her. I, it's not that level. I think genuinely they're, they're at the angry level. Yeah. Like genuinely, you have taken away 300,000 people's votes in your own state. Um, how do you think they feel about that? I mean, what was the rallying cry of the American Revolution? Give no me taxation without representation. Oh, yeah. I literally can't vote for my representative of my choice. Well, I mean, the thing is, we know how this works in countries that aren't democracies. Basically, what they just have a civil war every now and again. Yeah, and that's sort of the big worry because... Yes, global superpower kind of in charge of the entire West. Yes, uh, and 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 the, what they are doing is they are dismantling democracy in the name of democracy, and you're just going to get what you get in all other countries that don't have votes. You have civil wars, and the evidence here is clear as well. I mean, Josh documented it here, in which is a breakdown of the timeline, and of course you can go and check it out in your own time. I mean, what did Donald Trump do during all this? Well, you could see his tweets in which he's literally saying, "Be peaceful." And then you can also just go back to his account now that Elon's taken over as a historical document that now exists again. Weird how they didn't want it to exist, because when you go and have a look at what was tweeted, 
during that time. It's telling everyone to go home. This video is just him speaking for two minutes, 40 seconds, saying, go home, be peaceful. And he just goes on, you know, support the women in blue. We support law and order. Thank you. I, I'm sorry, but this is... You know, and that's why they banned his account. Stay peaceful. And then it's his live stream where he's still talking. So literally after he finishes his talk, he's telling everyone, stop, support the police, be peaceful. There is no case to be made that he engaged in insurrection. It just isn't there. You have some people that broke the law, okay? But he's not involved in this, nor did he advocate it. So presumably when it goes to the Supreme Court, it will be shot down. And even if that happens, because it's not guaranteed, that's an assumption we're making, what's the response? Because they were willing to do this, and I presume they're willing to then extend that to as many states as possible so they can push it through. I mean, they seem to be willing to do literally anything. They've played their hand and they've shown what playbook that they're working from here, which is the screw you playbook. Yeah. And if every, if, like you say, if these large populations in these states see that the, uh, the, the, the game that's being played is the screw you game, I'm being taxed, but I can't have any representation. So, I mean, so, so one interpretation of this is, is that, um, I mean, I, I think it's the case, but I'll, I'll just mainstream it a bit, but they genuinely did cross the Rubicon at the last election. And now they cannot go back because a lot of people know that they're going to be in jail for a very long time for election fortification. And if they this, have to win the next comes, one. Yes, it's necessary. not, the, you know, the crime has already been committed. It is no longer an option to lose. And when they, whenever they, it's kind of a meme now, but when they talk about our democracy, what that literally means is me ruling you, specifically me being in a position in government ruling you. That's what, that's what it means. And like you say, that a lot of these people are in positions that are completely untouchable by the electorate. The only people that might be able to touch them are people at the executive level going yeah. in and saying, right, we're going to purge all of these jobs from the federal government. Or he puts people in positions in the federal government who are going to be able to do that for him. Aaron McIntyre has a good series of tweets called um, what, what Does Democracy Mean in This Sentence? where he shows up loads of articles <laughs> like this. Favorites. Yeah, and it, it's, I think the last one was something like um, something like 40% of um, Western democracies are voting next year. This is a threat to our democracy. But he, he's got a whole bunch of them where basically the, the idea of democracy obviously oh means well, ruled by the elites. It's funny because it's not even ex just in America that this happens. This is why Germany was also saying, I don't know, the AFD is getting pretty popular. Yep. We might have to purge them off the ballot as well. Yep. With the United States, though, and to get back to my Tim Paulism, I, he's made a series of... I should have brought my beanie on for you. Yeah, he's made a series of points where it's like, you know, if, if this happens, then are we not in some kind of low-level civil war? And usually his stuff is along the line of breakdown of law and order, right? Um, but there is a solution to that, and it's not one that Americans are unusual to, which is if there's a low level of law and order, you have the Second Amendment, you protect your own family. And this happens periodically when something happens in LA, for example, and uh, roof Koreans become a thing. And that's a solution that's built in. But this, where we're looking at not having a representative, I don't think the American system has a failsafe for that. And the written solution to that is to overthrow the government. That is what the Founding Fathers wrote you should do. So if I'm looking at those 300,000 people in Maine or the several million in Colorado or California and such, I mean, I'm not saying do it, okay? Not advocating violence. I'm saying that the American Constitution as written by the Founding Fathers is instructing their ancestors to do that if it ever happened in the United States. And I wouldn't be very shocked 
if quite a few members of the American Republic took that up. Well, that, that, that it is, is the thing they pledge allegiance to and obsess over. That, that's why the US elites are desperately, desperately pushing Nikki Haley. Because if they can get Nikki Haley over the line, they can have a Republican president. She won't do anything about you know, the last fortification. She won't do anything about the Jan 6 political prisoners. You know, she, she's just part of the machine. She'll give, she give Raytheon another war. Um, they're desperate to get somebody like her, but, but, they, but they're not going to get it because if, if it's not Trump, it's going to be someone like, you know, Ramaswamy or something. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Again, I mean, please discuss. Let me know what your thoughts are. But there we are. Uh, I'll end this off with one more thing, though, which is, as you alluded to correctly, I mean, if you actually want to build a case for someone engaging in insurrection, uh, I don't know enough about Joe Biden's statements during the George Floyd riots, but the best candidate I could think of is Kamala Harris would actually be ineligible. Because as you can see here, this is one that obviously went viral at the time. It's one amongst several, in which she tweets out, if you are able to chip in now to the Minnesota Freedom Fund to help post a bail for those protesting on the ground in Minnesota. Now, protesting meaning burning and looting. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're talking about violent criminals. I mean, the response at the time, rather correctly, was you're funding domestic terrorism, uh, whatever that is that's been listed as sensitive content and so forth, in which people are like, no, we're, we're talking about actual violent criminals burning the place down for your political agenda, and you want to bail them out. And you are right that it's not, the, it's not even really comparable to Donald Trump, because all we have of Donald Trump is him saying, don't do this, go home. Yeah. With her, we have explicit... I endorse bailing yeah. these people out of prison. Explicit statements saying, yeah, please, please get these criminals back on the streets. And an example in which, well, this did result in one death we can tangibly point to. It's just a single individual because we can point directly to her donations and then the individual who was released in regards to that time period who then went on to murder someone. This is um, an urban man, as you can see there. And he, as you uh, well, I can read from the headline and then the details, he was in prison for rioting. And so after Kamala Harris's tweet, the Minnesota Freedom Fund bailed him out so he could be free. And uh, they've acknowledged it helped secure the release of Sean Michael Tillman, who then in May shot and killed a passenger on a rail platform in St. Paul. Because when I'm waiting for a train, I need to kill people. Quote, it is neither just nor effective to respond to violence by denying bail and preemptively pushing people who are disproportionately poor, black, brown, and indigenous into the prison system, said the Minnesota Freedom Fund. What's that got to do with the price of eggs? I mean, it means nothing. They like, were talking about violent criminals here. Because the dude had a criminal history as well. It wasn't just he, he was so outraged about George Floyd and deeply cared about fentanyl rights or something. Yeah. Here's his list. A criminal record includes multiple counts of indecent exposure, including indecent exposure to a minor, as well as assault and unlawful possession of a firearm. And then they bailed him out for rioting. Thanks, Kamala. And then he went and killed someone. But nevertheless, the Democrats look at that individual and think, one of ours. Yeah. Um, at least L you can draw... That's, that's what it is. They go, oh, okay, he's useful to us. Mm. So, I mean, that's a case in which a politician did actually help fund the riots which were destroying the United States and did result at least in one tangible murder we can point to directly. Uh, as to indirectly, God knows. Whereas Donald Trump said, don't do it. I'm sorry. That's just the evidence there is. Watch out, though. Trouble in paradise. Black women, uh, the block of black women, 7% Florida, threatens to boycott Biden. Maybe some good news. But there we are. I'm uh, a bit worried. Um, let me know in the comments what you think. Let's go to the video comments.
So if you thought India being the poo capital of the world was bad, wait until you see these packages. This is from my Indian friend who showed me um, these ice cream cones. Keep my ice cream cones. They have Adolf Hitler as their mascot. <laughs> and it gets worse. They have firecrackers too. I mean, they just really love Hitler over there. I mean, look at this. It's everywhere. Look. You, you can't get away from it. Yeah. No chimney, chimney towels? Um, if you want a copy of Mein Kampf and you buy it on Amazon, you'll notice that the price on the back is listed in rupees. Oh, really? Do they get produced and printed in India? Yeah. Oh, fair play. See, I think weirder than weirder than that. I did see something on Twitter earlier, and I don't. I hope it wasn't serious. It was a video of a bunch of Indian men getting really excited when their cow did a lot of pooing, and then they picked up all of the poos, ran back home with it, and started cooking it. I, I um, I'm going to use my rare privilege as the host to veto any further conversation. Right. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> move on to the next video comment. Hi, Adobe Series. How are you guys doing? Um, Rob Rob Studio here. Really bad at doing these videos. I'm going to get better. Um, with all of the premium content, which is freaking amazing, do you have favorite pieces of premium content? And there's there's so much um is there any way that we could more regularly do sort of uh recommendations of oh remember this piece of content you know that's maybe from at this point could even be two years ago but it's actually one that really should be seen if you are a recent subscriber anyway thanks guys all the best yeah so he's talking about curation of of the body of work that we have hey it's... dan maker of brokenomics what series would you recommend people <laughs> like, i think that might be a bit of a useless endeavor yeah when well, we have been thinking about ways we could do curation on our own site so we got some ideas but they're not ready yet so hopefully we will address yeah. that but I, I don't think he's suggesting that we just recommend our own series. <laughs> that's pretty obvious well, I think that's what said... i think you're gonna get if you ask dan what's the best thing that you will get him <laughs> saying brokenomics. What's, what's a specific episode of brokenomics that you think really get packs packs punch oh, gives the, it a lot for its value the, the, the first one just gives just gives the full overview because yeah, I, I think that there's a lot for everybody that could do something like that you yeah. don't even need to say your own content uh, I, maybe it might be worth to um, promote some older stuff a bit more often. I mean, we try and do that during the episodes themselves. I promoted Josh's old article. You're constantly promoting your Active Measures book club. I think that's the hey, one. I've taken a several month hiatus from doing that. Yeah, you got to get back to it <laughs> soon, though, aren't you? Yeah, of course, cheap right. bastard. Yeah. I mentioned something because um, I think it's funny, which is we were recently doing a bit of uh, analysis on the premium stuff, and one of the things I found, which I just did not expect is in the last two years, which is the day that we have for, the most viewed piece of premium content we had was a live stream in which suddenly Carl looked at me one day and said, there are big cats in the UK. And then we did a live stream where he just tried to argue that there are tigers and leopards. <laughs> is, that, is that the number one? That's the most viewed piece of premium content. Not like Count Dankula on Lad's Hour. That's close, but I was, the big cats wins. Even over Bigfoot? Yeah, Bigfoot was pretty even popular. over yeah. Brokenomics episode one. Yes, yes, mad. To to, to be fair, <laughs> even Carl can't push Bigfoot in the UK. So so eventually he realised big cats. <laughs> <laughs> When's yeah. his UFO coming out? When's his UFO streams happening? Oh wait, no, he doesn't believe in space, does he? No, no he, he doesn't believe in aliens. I thought he doesn't believe B in Bigfoot. Space. Yes, aliens, you don't believe though. in space, do you? I believe in space. Yeah, I believe you were in like that. you were the one who was like the moon landings didn't happen. 
That's, that's different from not believing in the concept Do of we space. Have a flat earther in the office. <laughs> yeah, yet? I think that's the same. Has anybody become a flat earther yet? I don't know. Well, You're not a flat earther, are yeah. you? Okay, all right. And, and I'm not. I, I an, I'm not anti. Believe... No, I'm not anti moon landings. I'm just saying I'm no higher than fifty fifty that they actually happen. But then, how do you, do you believe in satellites? Then, what's your percentage yes. on satellites? So satellites is fine. That's yes. perfectly possible. Yes. But getting to the moon, I mean, do you believe you can get a rover to the moon? I believe you can. I, I believe you can do it now. Yeah. But I, 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 I am well, not. We've, I'm, we've I'm, not done it I'm in saying, decades. All I'm saying is I'm not at a hundred percent. But they did it when they said they did it. That's all I'm but saying. The Soviets were do you sending... reckon Stanley Kubrick had much to do with it? Was 2001 Possibly. his pre preparation for it? Was that the practice run? And then Shining really was him admitting to it? Look, I used to be at 100% the moon landings happened. And then COVID happened. And I was like, okay, government can lie to us on a mass scale. So my, <laughs> my, com my confidence You're the number level, one thing? <laughs> no, my confidence level on the moon went from 100% to 99%. And then I started looking into it. And the more I looked into it, the more my confidence level went down. And I got to 50-50 and I stopped looking because I didn't want to go any lower. But do you believe rovers can go to Mars at that time period or not? In not the 60s, no. Yeah. But, but the Soviets were sending them to Venus and Mars, never mind the bloody moon. Well, they sent something that parachuted down. I mean, it's not exactly a rover, was it? But it's still able to take pictures and travel. Well, the one on Mars, I think. Yeah, but get, getting humans there. Like I say, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying I'm at 50 50. What's that? Why is that? Like, we can parachute a, a drone, but I don't believe we can put wheels on it. What are you, mental? No. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a big step between parachuting a lump of something onto Venus and getting humans onto Mars and then sorry, onto the moon. And then, no, no, I was comparing. More accurately, getting them back up, off, and back again. I was just talking about rovers because I didn't even want to get into the whole human right. thing. Because, I, I mean, I think you're mad on that too, but. I wanted to take baby steps. Hang on, I'm not. I'm not anti-rover. So you think rovers are okay? That's yes, perfectly possible. Yes, but the, the human. We've still got two more videos. Should we finish this? I just find it fascinating, <laughs> honestly. Sorry. So yeah, let's get back to the video comments. You're right. Hello, Lotus Eaters. My wife and I watched the Lads Hour from last week together, and the answer to one of the questions you posed about women is no, she doesn't, and has never even considered it until you brought it up. I'm not going to elaborate further, and anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about needs to subscribe to the website and watch Lad's Hour. You do not know what you are missing. I like your word, strong man. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. home gym as well. What does the Danes think about the Danger? Well, the truth is that most Danes don't even know it happened, but it is one of my favorite stories to tell, and when I do tell it, people think it's hilarious. We was Vikings, and that's awesome! Is kind of the Danish mentality, we just think it's hilarious. My other favorite story to tell is how the Vikings became Christian. Basically, the German Christian monks gave the Vikings golden gifts to become Christian. So what the Vikings did was that they would travel all across the country to get Christian multiple times to get multiple gold gifts. So the Vikings kind of really not very honest, but they did become Christian because it was just kind of easier that way. That's pretty funny. Mm. That all makes sense to me. I like the idea of some Nordic guy in the modern day, just like a Persian covered in gold rings. <laughs> uh, like, what, we stole gold from someone? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, let's go to the, uh, I think we have a last one. So, what do no. you mean? I've already been christened. <laughs> I need it one more time. That was the other guy here, the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Guy Incognito. <laughs> <laughs> do we have another video comment? Or, Today I yeah, got bored and decided to make a bunch of network diagrams for family structures. Here we have the cornerstone of the conservative Western movement, 
the nuclear family, which has a dismal one to five ratio of support for the parents. The parents can barely take a day off. They're overwhelmed. It's a mess. Here's a better strategy. This is the tall strategy. The grandparents get involved and you end up having more of a one to one ratio. And we have the wide strategy where you have aunts and uncles and cousins involved and you get a big happy family. These families are way more robust and it's no wonder the West is crumbling if they're basing it on the nuclear family because that family is not sustainable except in really good economic times. I appreciate that. It's a good, interesting point. The only thing that I find weird is it looks like a HR spreadsheet. You've come to the office with them and you're like, look, everyone, you need to be having more kids and more people involved. I want to know how you've mathematically calculated ratios of support yeah. for this. This all, this all seems a bit... Fine the, the fact of the matter is that different family structures work for different kinds of people. And I've been doing some reading up on... Um, English customs back in the day, the fact that English, the English by the, by the sounds of it, as far back as you can find records before you get to the Dark Ages, have always been really individualistic. And you can go back to the 1200s and find that people were living in nuclear families back then. It seems that the nuclear family structure works really well for the English and other Western European peoples, and maybe doesn't work so well for other populations. That's the, that's the fact of the matter. Uh, the reasons that we're know. the reasons that we're so screwed over here right now is not because mum and dad decided they don't need grand and granddad's help to raise the kids all the time. Okay, now before we end this off, I'm just going to say somebody in the live chat has started a fight with me. So I just oh, want, I just no, I have to respond to this. So no, but... listen, have you noticed the way, direction the flag was waving and the no, photos? No, 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 no. Where is it? Star constellation. Where is it? Don't line up. <laughs> Some somebody called Dragonhawk who really bloody hates me. I always look out for his comments because it, 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 I, 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 lo- I love favorite. I love people who hate me in the comments because it just makes me giggle try the concept that you couldn't like me. Anyway, Callum, so he says I'm a work. No, <laughs> hang on, hang on. He says that I'm a moron because uh, he don't think I don't think people landed on the moon. I'm not saying that I don't think people landed on the moon. I said my confidence level is not 100%. So you're a fucking moron because you didn't listen to what I said. Right. So then, you wouldn't hold up in a then, court of law, Dragon right, th- Yes. Then somebody responded to that by saying, Dan doesn't even know that you can prove it with lasers. That is one of the most easily dismissible arguments of the whole bloody lot. Because the whole thing is, there's an episode of like the Big Bang Theory where, where they say, oh, you can point a laser at the moon and it bounces off. Yep. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, there are, there are laser reflectors on the moon, right? Do you know who else has got laser reflectors on the moon? The Russians, the Chinese, and the Indians. You can get a laser reflector on the moon without having put people on the moon. You can just land the bloody things. So no, that is not an argument. And yes, I have done the basic bloody research. So carry on bloody commenting. What about I like the rest of you, but what, what about no, putting them. what about putting death lasers on the moon? Has anyone done that yet? Has Doctor E gotten round to it? <laughs> Local moon denier has argument with chat. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the point is, just chat. The chat does this. I mean, I dip into it every now and again. It's like. Do you not think I've considered that for God's sake? Anyway, if you walked into Tesco's and told people you don't think the moon landings happen, what do you think? <laughs> like, yes, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have the I conversation in Tesco's, would I? If you want to go down the pub, I'll lay out the full argument as to why my confidence interval if, has if, been reduced. If I hear anybody hysterically explaining at high pitch and high speed why the moon landing... I've I've heard about the lasers in right, Tesco. Okay, fa- I'll know what's going on. To be on. fair, you golf get that clubs? in the office. You think they take golf clubs? <laughs> <laughs> you get that in the office every other week with a Bigfoot issue. So what would it matter oh, if, that, if, I, if I had a Carl doesn't really talk about Bigfoot that much anymore. Yeah. Now, there is a lovely insight to how the office works, which is each one of us has some mental belief that obviously isn't true, but we fervently... <laughs> 
defend it. <laughs> What's mine? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out. Yeah. Yeah. Right, let's go to the written comments. So, mine is that new metal was always good. The thing was. is, see, you don't even know what new metal is. I'd argue with you, can I? <laughs> You're not rolling. Right, okay. You don't know uh, what time it is. All right. So, You're not down with the nookie. Uh, so someone's typing. Dan, I've just been told that Dragonhawk is a woman. Oh, yeah, I've done that before. You need to go around. Yes, I, I really... Have up... you been misgendering our Yes, there's somebody in the chat who bloody hates me, and I decided to mention it before, and then I found... I, I misgendered them or something. They're very, they're very particular right, about their Right, should we pronouns. read some comments? Right, anyway, yes, yes. We did promise to diddle all the women who watch, so... What? No, no, that remember? was... No, that was if they bought an episode or something. I can't remember. Well, send your receipt. That's going to put them off, then. (laughs) (laughs) Sales dropped dramatically. Anyway, comments. So I I can only do one because we're running out of time because we're arguing with the chat. Right, anyway. so You uh, were arguing with the chat. No, they were arguing with me. I didn't start it. I finished it. (laughs) You were arguing. (laughs) You can't fire me. I quit. (laughs) Right, anyway. Quick comment. Sean Goffrey says, I work in the aerospace uh, sector. When I was in school, there were five male students where everyone woman in the engineering program. The women I worked with are highly competent and absolutely deserve to be there. On graduation, they had the pick of companies. More or less, every aerospace company is trying to get 50-50 females in hiring. As a result, the companies are targeting this tiny pool of females for applicants. Companies that can't compete end up even more male-dominated. Yeah, so again, you know, it's... It, you, you, What's you, this he's saying at the bottom, though? Um, oh, with, he then goes and talk about Indians, but I, I, I wanted to address the core point in the like thirty seconds I got. Right, you, you, you do, you guys do a comment. I'm going to scan the live chat again to see if anyone else needs telling off. Oh my God. <laughs> right, you pick one, and I'll pick one. <laughs> You're so salty <laughs> for the moon landings. <laughs> All right, so Robert Longshaw says a woman neighbor I've had in the early 2000s paid to go on holiday to some African country to help build a school. She took a bricklaying course before going so she could hit the ground running. She actually wanted to help. When she got back, she told me the only building materials they could get for the school project were ruined old bricks for, uh, from another building somewhere. Two days before finishing her stay, which had been about six weeks, she realized what they were doing were dismantling another school up the <laughs> another school up the road, which had probably been built by people staying to help before her. TLDR, her and the other groups of holidaying volunteers were probably re-re-relocating a school, not to improve the situation in a rundown township, but to line the pockets of a travel company and local government. That makes a lot of sense. I like the idea that like sediment moving along parts of a coast from one beach to another, that was happening with the school. It's the natural migration of the <laughs> school <laughs> over <is> migrating <laughs> over time. That is incredible. I actually have a friend who went to Africa to do some aid work and do charity mm. over there. I forget exactly what country that it was that she stayed in, but she went very idealistically. She was like, I can't wait to help these people. And she comes back and she gives us all of these stories about the attitudes and behaviors over there. But then the most amazing thing was she was saying, oh yeah, we were staying in like the only house in this small village because all of the rest of it was mud huts and such. And we were in contact with the place, with the people who were next door. And the thing that really amazed me was they had a slave. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't know they still did that over there. (laughs) She was so shocked by this. I think that's all I can really say there. It's just, well, in, it? Until you're Viceroy of um, Cameroon, in which case you can... Um... I can finally abolish it. Was it nice to have? No, she said, <laughs> uh, she, she said that she gave this person a mobile phone to try and help them escape. And I think that she's... Messing with the local economy. I know. The imperialist. But she, yes. uh, I, I told her she was a filthy, filthy colonist and should be ashamed of herself. But apparently this did help the person who they'd enslaved get in touch with their family. 
and hopefully, uh, ho- hopefully they're right. living a free life now. But, Still, they, you, you ex- but the family next door did have a slave. The, the colonialism of our values, you can't, you can't be oppressive like that, you know, interfere in their culture. I know, I know. Mm. Right, we'll end off on a uh, short note. JJHW gives us a nice old Americanism, he's telling us. Soap box, ballot box, jury box, ammo box. Use in that order. There we are. Yeah. I like, like that. more. Yep. Uh, use the website you're on. Bye. Cheerio.